0: where my friend went, and I'm thankful for his example. He was single all of his life, and yet he used his singleness for the glory of God and the good of others. When I was a freshman at LSU, the first time I moved down to Kirby Smith and lived on the 14th floor, which is actually the 13th, but because they don't want to call it that, you go from 12 to 14, or it could just be that people from Alabama put in the elevator. I don't know, but I gave the folks from Mississippi a break. Are you glad? Are you glad? There it is. That was my first thought, and I let it scan. Went on, next date, next date. All right, so, uh, but when I moved down as a freshman, he loaded up all my stuff in the back of his Ford uh, F-250 and drove it down, and every time I would go to my hometown, I would go by the drugstore where he worked just to see my Sunday school teacher, and so I would say to you that teach Sunday school, you have no idea how the Lord may use you in the lives of students for, for the rest of their life, not just in the season that they're in your class. And uh, and so grateful for him. And as I thought about him, he was also a great tenor, and uh, I sang in the choir. That may surprise you. I sang in the choir when I was in the youth group, with the youth choir and then with the adult choir. And uh, you know, we used to sing all kinds of good songs. How many of you? Uh, and I realize those of you who don't have a church background, you will not know these songs. So uh, just bear with us till we get through them. But you know, we shall what rise. What's the next phrase? Yeah, there's my mom, so we sing it. (laughs) Apparently apparently you guys didn't sing it at your churches, so it's not very nostalgic for you, but... uh and we would go through, and uh, our our minister music would sing uh, song specials all the time. You know, come and dine. He who fed the multitude, turned the water into wine. Right. So these kinds of things. Uh, and then you know, hymn. We actually had hymn books. You know what those are, right? Those are songs and numbers, and you turn the pages and look up them. And uh, we would, you know, this is my story. This is my. Okay, so other people sang that one. All right, we found one that you did. And of course, being good Baptists, you would get to the end and you always slow down, right, on the last time through, right? This is my story. And I was like, this is where the never-ending story got its title, right? It just goes on and on. And uh, it would take us the, the length of time to sing the last chorus as it did the first the first part of the song, right? And so... One of the ones, of course, uh, I can remember Bill singing in the choir, my youth minister. And we would do uh, Easter cantatas, and, and on one particular one, uh, we would, uh, as a time of response, we would stand on this mountain that was constructed in our church, and we would sing Just As I Am. And inevitably, we would sing all 4,000 verses of Just As I Am, you know? And so another popular song that we would sing as a response is Have Thine Own Way. Okay, you people did sing this too. All right, so... Have Thine Own Way. And it's funny because as you sang those songs so much, we could a- almost become desensitized to them. As you stood up and sang Just As I Am, you, you could sometimes become desensitized to the content of it because of having being so familiar with it. And also with Have Thine Own Way. But I found myself this week because I thought about Bill, and I thought about choir, and I thought about just songs we used to sing. One of the things I love about Have Thine Own Way, the very last verse of Have Thine Own Way says this, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, have Thine Own Way, hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with Thy Spirit till all shall see. Do you know what it is? I see Miss Patsy, right? Christ only always living in me. Christ only always living in me. And so the essence of that verse is is saying, Look, have your way with me, Lord. Have your way. Have complete control over me. Fill me with your spirit so that everyone else can see Christ at all times. So that everyone else can see Christ at all times. Is there a better prayer for the gospel community? Is there a better verse for us to sing to say, fill us with your spirit so that everyone else can see Jesus in us at all times? Christ only, always, living in me. That this would be, the cry of our heart. And we have been on a journey. We've encountered the gospel word in Galatians, and now we've transitioned to say, how does that gospel word create and shape the gospel community? What does the gospel community look like? And we've been walking through Romans 12, uh, just a few sermons, and today we're going to pick that up. But I want you to let's start our study in Romans 12 in Acts chapter 5. That's where I want us to start our time in Romans 12, as we think about, does God have absolute sway over us, and are we being filled with His spirit so that folks can always see Jesus in us so that folks can always see Jesus in us? Last week, we studied that the gospel community uses our bodies to show that Christ is our treasure that's where we left off last week. We use our bodies in such a way that it's clear that we are not our treasure and it's clear that other things are not our treasure. But the gospel community, the re, one way that the gospel makes us different is it causes us to use our bodies in a different way. And we use them to show that Christ is our greatest treasure, or in essence, to worship him with our lives. So let me ask you as we start, how did you do this week? How did we do on that? How did we do in showing the world that Christ is our treasure by the way we used our bodies? Was it a good week? Was it evident that the gospel has changed us? by the way we used our bodies. In Acts chapter 5, you find some men who it's evident. You find the apostles. And in Acts 5, they've been preaching. And early in in the chapter, they are arrested. Uh, you're going to find in, in verse 19, they are arrested, but they are set free by an angel. Of course, if you don't believe in miracles, it will put a dent on the rest of this story. But uh, Incredible picture of God's sovereignty and God's control that man has put these guys in prison, but man can't hold them there. God opens the doors and then tells them. The angel gives them the message, and he says in verse 20, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I think it's always interesting that he says, Go and preach. He didn't just say, Go and do signs. Go and preach. Go and tell them. And so, where do you think the apostles are going to be the next morning? They're set free from jail by an angel, and they're told the next day to go to the temple. Where do you think they're going to go? To the temple. And it says that they were there at daybreak, friends. They were there at daybreak, and they're preaching. And what happens is, and it's a very funny scene, because the guards, then the high priests come in, and the Sadducees, and they... They want to call the apostles, and so they go to the prison cell where the apostles are supposed to be, and they still find guards at the door, and the door's locked, but they don't find the apostles. And then it's really funny because someone says, well, there they are. They're preaching over there. And so then the temple guard is sent over to them, but now they fear the crowd, and so they ask them to kind of come with them. So the disciples find themselves having been arrested, jailed, freed, preaching, arrested again, and now brought before the high priest and the Sadducees. And in this process, I think Peter gives uh, an incredible testimony. Beginning in verse 29, he says this, But Peter and the apostles answer, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And I love the essence of this testimony because it's God raised God exalted. God has given. And it's a far cry from many testimonies in, in our churches these days. When it's, I did. I did. And you don't see that with apostles. Excellent testimonies in the book of Acts of God did this. God did this. God did that. And who gets the glory? Well, they have a powwow, a meeting. The leaders do. And ultimately, they are going to beat them again. In verse 40, it says, When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Let me ask you this. Do you think the apostles used their bodies in such a way to show that Christ was their treasure? Do you think they did that? I mean, they've just been beaten for the cause of Christ. They were put in prison, and then at daybreak, they could have said, Man, we had a long night. I want to sleep in. I want to sleep in. I I deserve to sleep in. I mean, I was put in prison for preaching. I don't want to go back, and particularly at the crack of dawn, right? That's what they could have done. But you see, their body was not their treasure. Christ was their treasure. Why in the world would they do this? Well, what they did with their bodies is because of what they were thinking with their minds. They used their body in different ways because they were thinking differently. Keep looking in Acts 5 and look at verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And again, just... Pointing out, I love that it's not that they just did signs. They're teaching and they're preaching Christ. Through the foolishness of preaching, God is ordained for the gospel to, to go out. They are rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Their thinking is different. Their mind is different. Here's how it's different. In their mind, the name of Christ is more important than escaping persecution. In their mind, the name of Christ is more important than self-preservation. In their mind, the name of Christ is more important than conforming to how the religious leaders wanted them to act. I wonder this morning, what about in our minds? Is the name of Christ most important? You see, we use our bodies to show that Christ is our treasure. Only if in our minds Christ is our treasure. If Christ is not your treasure, then you're not going to use your body in a way that displays that. What we do with our bodies is intimately tied to what we think with our minds. And I'll give you another illustration of that. Anyone ever heard of Paul in the Bible? Good. Paul, one day he is drug out of a city, he's stoned, and he's left for dead. And then he gets up and he walks back into that same city, and from there continues his, his mission to advance the gospel. That's a, that's a good day's work, right? I mean, you're drugged out, you're stoned, you're left for dead, and then you get up and walk back in that same city and then keep on with the mission trip. Do you think his body drove his mind or his mind drove his body? Which do you think with Paul? Do you think his body drove his mind or mind drove his body? I would say, and you say, I see it in your lips already, his mind drove his body, because I'm pretty sure his body said, "Don't get up. Stay down. Don't walk back in the city." And I'm sure as he was walking, his body's going, "What's wrong with you, dude? What's wrong? Are you crazy?" We deserve to be treated better. And I would submit to us, we must always be careful when the body begins to talk about us deserving something. We must be quick to flee to Christ when you want to think about deserving something. I bet his body was saying, quit, it's not worth it. But you know what his mind was saying? I know it because he's written it for us. His mind was saying, it is my eager expectation that Christ would be honored in my body whether by death or by life. You know what I want? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's what his mind was thinking. His mind was thinking, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see, a shift has occurred in Paul's thinking, and he tells us, everything I once thought gain, I now consider loss. Consider is not just an action word. Friends, it's a mental, it's a thinking word. Everything that I thought was gained, it's now lost. Something has changed in the way that Paul thinks. And now that that has changed, it changes what he does with his body, to which he's willing to, on the day that he's beaten, and stoned, walk back into the same city and keep going for the sake of the gospel. His mind is different. It causes his body to be different. Is that what we're thinking? I wonder if we're thinking that Christ is such a treasure And that's what's driving what we do with our bodies. That we're thinking differently because the gospel has changed how we think. One other example I would give to you about mind and body is actually in the beginning of Acts 5. Anyone heard of Ananias and Sapphira? (laughs) Yeah. You think body drove mind or mind drove body with Ananias? Mind clearly drove body. And what it did was his mind caused him to think, I want to hold this back for myself. And then he came and presented it. And the problem is, he didn't lie to men, he lied to God. Does anyone know what happened to Ananias that day at church? <laughs> he died. And it's interesting that about three hours later, his wife comes in, and the same thing happens to her. And my favorite thing is twice in Acts 5, it says, and great fear seized the church. I imagine so. Look, if two folks die in service today, it might get our attention, right? Here's what I encourage you. Don't hold back. Don't lie to God this morning. Be honest, right? Find out. So... Here are two examples for us, friends, of mind-affecting body. And what happens is that our mind must be changed. Last week we learned the gospel community uses our bodies to show that Christ is our treasure. Do you know why that is? It's because of what we learned this week. The gospel community thinks more like God and less like the world. We think more like God and less like the world. Here's what happens, friends. The gospel changes how we use our bodies because it changes how we think with our minds. That's what happens in Romans 12. And I'll ask you to turn there. We're just going to read verses 1 and 2 this morning. As we continue this journey, what does the gospel community look like? And this morning we'll see the gospel community looks like those who think more like God and less like the world. And because of that, they use their bodies to show that Christ is their treasure. Let's stand and read verses 1 and 2 this morning in Romans 12. Paul writes... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, we thank you that you've preserved this text that we may encounter today. Father, we pray for continued insight on what the gospel community looks like. And I pray that we would be able to say, as many of us have sung through the years, that you would hold absolute sway over us, that you would fill us with your spirit so that everyone else can see Christ only, always living in us. If that's to be the case, then, Father, our minds have to be renewed. We have to think like you. We have to think like Christ. And then we will use our bodies in a way that shows Christ as our treasure. So, Father, speak to us now about not being conformed to the world, but being transformed through the renewal of our mind so we can know what your will is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. We pray now for the empowering of your spirit. Without your spirit moving, we are hopeless this morning to grasp this passage. So would you light it up to us? Would you speak to us? And would you change us forever? Would you shape us into the gospel community? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you had to put Romans 12, 2 in a sentence this morning, very simply, don't think like the world, but be transformed and think like God. As we begin this morning, our first note from this passage is that by God's mercies, as Paul says in verse 1, the gospel community does not conform to the world. By God's mercies, the gospel community does not conform to the world. He says in, in the beginning of verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. It's an imperative. It's a command. Don't be squeezed in the pattern of this world. I want to remind you of what we learned when we studied 1 John. Do you remember the little phrase? Every do not from God is for our what? Best, right? Every do not from God is for our best, and every good is too, all right? Every do not from God is for our best, and every good is too. We're the people that when we see do not, we want to rally against it, right? I always use the picture of when I'm in the library, and it's like, do not talk. What do you want to do? You just want to scream, right, or... When you're in the movie theaters, do not have your cell phone on. What do you want to do? There's something to me that's like, I want to light it up. Well, what? You know? Or my favorite is, you know, when, you're, when you see woods and they say, no trespassing. And that's why I use the, the Greek word frolic. i want to frolic in those woods and be like, I trespass it. Right? There's something about do not that makes us feel restrictive. But we've got to remember that God is a loving Father. And in the same way that if I were to let Adelaide out our back gate and let her go down into the pond... Uh, they call it a lake in Baton Rouge. It's a pond in Leesville. And they, if I were to let Adelaide go into that lake and not say anything to her, she can't swim on her own. She would drown. It's not restrictive of me or unloving when I say don't go to the pond. It's not because I don't want Adelaide to have fun in the water. It's because I don't want her to drown. And I'm a loving father. So every time that God the Father says do not, it's because he has our best in mind. And so every do not from God. We're not going to see this naturally, though, and this is why we have to have the renewed mind. So that every time we see the do not, we embrace it and say, thank you, loving Father. Thank you for having my best in mind. And so as we see it today, here's what he says. Little children, do not be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to the world. What does it mean to be conformed? It means being squeezed into a pattern. And I brought an illustration for us uh, today from the resource room. It's Plato, right? So if a sermon's ever tanking, just get Play-Doh out, and it may do something for it. When, uh, I picked the color purple. Does anyone know why I picked the color purple? That's right. I love the giggles. So uh, I picked it. My sister had first given me blue. I was like, is it purple? I'd rather have purple. And uh, just in honor of the stellar victory that was never in doubt last night, never in doubt. And uh, it's incredible how you just can't turn the thing off because you have to wait to the last down every time killing me. So, here's what it means to be conformed. It means being squeezed into a pattern. I want you to take your hands, take your hands, and move them like this, all right? So, this is the idea, all right? It's the idea of being squeezed. It's the pressure. Of course, the old illustration that, that I always love to use is Star Wars, you know, and what we thought was the original Star Wars, but turns out it's really number four. And when they're in the, the sewage, the, the trash compactor on, the, on the, big, uh, the big battle ball, whatever it was called, and Todd will correct me with an email after this. But, uh, uh, you know, the walls begin to close in, and like, we're going to die, and R2-D2 is doing his stuff. If I were to take a star, a little pattern here, and I were to put it in the Play-Doh, what pattern do you think that is going to come from the Play-Doh? Star! That's exactly right, youth. Stellar youth, Kevin. They got it. They were sharp. Why in the world would a star pattern come from the star mold into the Play-Doh? It's because this is what's forming it, right? This is what's putting the pressure on it. I have here a choo-choo train because trains are cool, and they do cool things to pennies on the track. So I wouldn't recommend that. It's destruction of government property, but I've had friends who've told me about it. (laughs) Ben Jones. So uh, this is a choo-choo train. If I were to take the choo-choo train and put it into the Play-Doh, does anyone guess what the form of the Play-Doh is going to be? No, a star. No, i just yes. It's a choo-choo train, right? Here's what we can't miss, friends, and this is why Plato's so helpful. Here's what Paul is saying in Romans 12, what God is telling us. Look, don't be squeezed into the world. The world is always going to try to squeeze you. How do we know that? It's written in the present tense. It's written in the present tense. And the world is never going to stop trying to squeeze us into its pattern. Look at the radio, look at internet, look at billboards, look all around you. The world is trying to squeeze you, and if it comes in, then if the world squeezes us, just like the Plato takes the shape of the star, what shape do you think we'll take if it's the world squeezing us? The world. We're going to look like the world. And here's uh, what I I think about. When I was a kid growing up, there was the commercial, this is your brain, it's an egg, and this is your brain on drugs, and it was sizzling. I see a couple people nodding. All right. Uh, th- this is kind of what it says. This is your brain, and this is your brain on the world. You see, when, you, when we're squeezed into the pattern of the world, the world promotes self-advancement. But God promotes self-denial. We want to think like God. The world promotes using others. But the Lord promotes serving others. The world tries to squeeze us into doing to others as they do to us. Treat them like they treat us. But the Lord says the gospel community... Treats others as they would want to be treated. We love them. We pray for them. We extend mercy to them. The world promotes accumulating stuff. But the gospel promotes storing treasures in heaven. You do realize, right, we won't take a single item from our climate-controlled storerooms, right? We wouldn't use them for the glory of God. The world promotes doing whatever you want sexually. But the gospel promotes that not even a hint of sexual immorality would be named among us. The world promotes pursuing fading satisfaction and stuff. But instead, there's full satisfaction in Christ. This is what the gospel promotes. So the Lord's writing. He says, don't don't be conformed to the world. Don't be squeezed in by it. Because then the church will look like the world and not like me. Why doesn't our loving Father want us to be conformed to the world? Well, he gives some reasons in Scripture. One, in Galatians, he says, it's evil. He gives another one in 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 John 2 where he says it's passing away. And as John Owen says, don't have living affections for dying things. Don't set your hearts on stuff that's fading away. And then he gives another reason in 1 John 2. It's not of him. So why doesn't God want us to set our heart on the things of the world? Because it's evil. It's passing away. It's not of him. If we are constantly influenced, if our main sources of influence are Fox News, espn cnn facebook twitter tmz who are always thorough in their research new york times if this is the constant influx into us what do you think we're going to look like we're going to look like the world if the world is our constant source but if the word is where we go friends then we're not going to be shaped by those things i wonder friends do we Go to the Word as much as we go to Fox News or CNN or check our updates, know what's going on. Do we go to the Word more in the day or do we go to the world more in the day? And then it's interesting because I don't know why the church is surprised when we look more like the world if that's where we're going for our influences. Why does it matter? Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good things which he prepared in advance for us to do. The reason it matters is the church is not the creation of the world. The church is not the workmanship of the world. The church is the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this sometime before his death in 1963. He said this, Almost everything the church is doing these days has been suggested to her by the world. That was in the 60s. And it hasn't changed, friends. I fear it's only gotten worse. That almost everything the church is doing these days has been suggested to her by the world. Friends, we want to work Bible out, not world in. We work Bible out. If the world sees itself in the church, it will never be drawn to Jesus. And so as we begin in this first part, by God's mercies, the gospel community doesn't conform to the world. It's not for our best. Here's the second part of this. The gospel changes the way the gospel community thinks. The gospel is the only means of causing the church to think more like God and less like the world. So if we're going to be those who use our bodies to show that Christ is our treasure, well, then we can't be conformed to the world. But the only way for us not to be conformed to the world is that we're transformed. And the only way for us to be transformed is that our minds are renewed. This is what Paul says. So as our minds are renewed, we're going to be transformed. We won't be squeezed into the power of the world. And then we use our bodies to worship God with our lives to show that he's our treasure. So he tells us, be transformed. And there are three points on your outline that I want to show you from the study of this word. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The very first thing is that the gospel brings change. The English word that we get from transformed is metamorphosis. And when I say metamorphosis, what do you tend to think about? And butterfly, that's what I tend to think about. I'm sure there are other things that go under it, but I don't know any of them. And we see a caterpillar go to a butterfly. And one of the things, when we studied this passage at Disciple Now, we talked about how we shouldn't have buttercats, right? You, you never see like a caterpillar, that, you never see a combo of like wings and a big old pod dragging behind it, you know, kind of thing. The transformation is total. Total from caterpillar to butterfly, and so one of the questions we have is why, why do we have so many buttercats in the church? Why do we have so many folks? It seems they're, they're, they're not total transformation. Friends, what is the verse we started with? The gospel is the power of salvation for men. It's not that the gospel lacks power. Friend. The gospel brings total transformation. That's what Romans 12 is about. We should be totally changed because of the gospel. That's what makes us different from the world. And so because of this idea of transformation, metamorphosis, If there's no change, friends, there is no gospel. The gospel will change us. Number two, transformation is a process, not an instantaneous event. This as well is written in the present tense, which has the idea of keep being transformed, which means we will keep being changed. More and more, we should be changed. So keep not conforming to the world because you keep being changed, being transformed. And then the third thing is that transformation happens to us, not by us. This is written in a passive, which means that someone or something else is acting on it. So (laughs) transformation doesn't come because we transform ourselves, friends. Transformation comes because someone or something else transforms us. And Scripture doesn't leave us blind on that. It tells us how are we transformed. Titus 3.15 will tell you this. It's the Holy Spirit. Why don't you hold your place and turn to Titus 3 real quick this morning. Turn to Titus. Turn to the right. If you don't know where it is, turn a few books to the right. Titus chapter 3, verse 15. And by 15, I mean 5. Unless you're particularly transformed by all who are with me, send greetings to you. I know it changes me when I read it right now. In in verse 5, it says this. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So how is it that we're renewed? It's through the Holy Spirit. So as we get back to, think about transformation. It means change. It means it's going to continue to be changed, and it's going to continue to be changed that's done to us by the Holy Spirit. All right? How are, we, how are we renewed, and why do we need renewal? I've put a list in your outline if you meditate on this, why do we need the Holy Spirit to renew us? Romans 8 says this, Our minds are hostile to God and cannot please Him. Ephesians 4 says our minds are futile, darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God. First Peter 1 says our minds are ignorant. Second Corinthians 4 says our minds are blinded by Satan. How is it then that we have minds that are hostile, futile, ignorant, blinded, and these are transformed to minds that now treasure Christ? How is this possible? Well, it's what the Spirit does. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says this, that as we see the glory of God, we are transformed from one glory to another. It's one of, uh, we see transformed in our text today. It's mentioned in two other places. One is when Christ is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in 2 Corinthians 3 is the only other place that the word transformed is mentioned in the New Testament. And there what it says is, as we see the glory of the Lord, we are transformed from one realm of glory to another. And it says, this is done by the Spirit. So how does transformation occur? Well, it's done by the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? He shows us the glory of God. And we're transformed from one realm to another. And I want to pause just a moment because we're going to celebrate at this table the death of Christ and the price that He paid. And I hope that you will see the power of the gospel, that the gospel is so powerful that minds that were once hostile to God can now love God. Minds that were once futile and darkened can now be blazing with light. Minds that were once ignorant can now have the knowledge of God. And minds that were once blinded by Satan and held captive by Satan, the gospel is so powerful that it has the power to say to Satan, let go their mind. This is the power of the gospel. This is the incredible picture of what occurs on the cross, for that's where it is accomplished. For our minds to be free, it's because of what Christ does on the cross. And this is the power of it. And so the more we look to Christ the more we will look like Christ. For this is what the Spirit uses. And one of the best ways is to be in the Word. But let me give you an illustration of someone who's experienced such transformation. In the history of the church, you have Aurelius Augustinius, or we call him. Some will call him Augustine. Some will call him Augustine. All right? As you have Augustine, he had one of the godliest mothers. And mothers, I would say to you, You should consider reading his story because this was a mother who didn't give up praying for her baby boy. Wives who are here today who are praying for your husbands, do not give up praying for your husband because God (laughs) hears and God can answer these prayers. And in Augustine's life, he had an incredible praying mother who kept praying. Augustine's problem is he was dominated by the world, the world was squeezing Augustine. He was dominated by sex. By the time he was 18, he already had a child. He incredibly dominated by the things of, of life. One of the bishops that his mother talked to, wanted him, want, she wanted him to talk to Augustine, and the bishop said, leave him there and only pray to God for him. He will discover by reading what is his error and how great his impiety. Go, live so. It cannot be that the son of those tears will perish. The mother was weeping for the cause of her son. Two factors led to the transformation of Augustine. One was the preaching of Ambrose. Augustine came under the powerful preaching of Ambrose in Milan. Concerning him, Augustine said, I was led to him unknowingly by God that I might knowingly be led to God by him. The main verse that was on the lips of Ambrose in those days was 2 Corinthians 3.6. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This made a deep impression upon Augustine. The second major factor was a guest in his home from Africa who shared the things of Christ with Augustine as they dialogued. He saw that on Augustine's table he had the letters of Paul. And so this man felt that Augustine surely was converted and just began to talk with him of the things of Christ. Augustine came under such conviction he went outside and was wrestling. And while he was outside, it was then that he heard the voice of a child that said, take and read. Take and read. And he has no idea where the voice came from. He says, I don't know. Was it a boy? Was it a girl? Was it in the backyard? Was it down the street? But he ran back into the house and he picked up Romans. And if you'll turn to Romans 13, just turn to the next chapter, the very next chapter in our study. In the year 386, this is what Augustine read in verse 13 of Romans 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Augustine ran back in. He opened the text and set his eyes on the very first passage that he encountered. And in this passage, he said there was no need to read further, though he did. He ran back in to that guest. And shared with him. And they read. And the guest said, we'll read on to verse 1 of the next chapter. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. And he said, Augustine, you who are weak in faith, find it in Christ. Find it in Christ. And he saw that in verse 14, all that he had done, the things in 13 that he was familiar with. Orgies, drunkenness, (laughs) sexual immorality. He found the answer, his only answer in verse 14, Christ. Put on Christ. And here's his words. In that instant, with the very ending of the sentence, it was as though a light of utter confidence shone in my heart, and all the darkness of uncertainty vanished. In his book, Confessions, he says this, Thou didst call and cry, and burst my deafness. Thou didst gleam and glow, and dispel my blindness. Thou didst touch me, and I burned for thy peace. Friends, this is transformation. This is what the Spirit does, where there was blindedness, hostility to God, He shows us the glorious gospel, and he brings the light, and he brings transformation. But here's how it played out. Augustine had a mistress that was part of the struggle, and he didn't want to give her up. He didn't want to be in the ways of Christ. But because of what Christ did for him, he would see her the very next day. And he would walk past her, and it upset her, as it might any woman. And she thought, well, he must not have seen me. And she turns and she says to him, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine keeps walking and he just hollers back, but it is not I. The reason he does, friends, is because the gospel transforms. Augustine was not the same man the next day as he'd been the day before. He's not the same man he was in all those experiences that he'd had with her. He was different and he was transformed. The reason Augustine did not engage with his mistress is his mind had been changed. And so now that his mind was changed, his body was different and what he did with it. This is the picture of the gospel community and how we should be. I can tell you some things of uh, what happens and the purpose of all of it is Romans 12. It says in the last part that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect So our last part of study here in this passage is the gospel community is transformed to know and do God's will. The point isn't just to know it, but it's to do it. But here's what Paul breaks down. If we're going to be those who offer our bodies to Christ, we worship with our lives, then we can't be squeezed into the pattern of the world. We have to be transformed, which comes through the renewing of our mind. And when our mind is renewed, we'll know what God wants. And then when we know what God wants, friends, we do it. That's the key of the gospel community. That's what makes us different. And the, word, the more we know the word, the more we will know his will. He says that when your mind is right, you can know what God wants. And that's why I would call us this morning to the word to say this. The more you know this, the more you will know what God wants. The majority of God's will is right here. We focus on the hidden things, what job, what spouse, what college, these sorts of things. But the majority of God's will is revealed right here. And that's why Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another. That's why 2 Timothy, Do your best, present yourself to God as a workman who need not be ashamed, but who rightly handles the word of God, right? rightly dividing its truth as it says in in chapter 3 that we might be equipped and competent for every good work that comes through the word the more you know the word the more you will know his will and the more you will do it and let me show you an instant of that here's a pop quiz i know it's sunday but let me give you a pop quiz is it okay for me to tell someone something about myself that's not true is it okay for me to tell why not it's a lie how do you know that's not okay Because the Bible, right? I won't force you. All right. Number two, someone says horrible things about me on Facebook. How should I respond? I no longer am friends with them, right? How do we respond? We write bad stuff about them, right? And we can even make it up. It doesn't matter if it's true, right? No. No. The Word tells us how we should respond to them, doesn't it? We should love them. We should pray for them. We extend mercy to them that they didn't extend to us. Isn't homosexuality really okay since denominations have ministers that are gay? Isn't it all right? This is where the word informs us. We don't get to pick and choose. We see clearly from Romans what is and is not okay. Is it okay to be cool with Jesus and not cool with the church? Not if you've read Ephesians, right? But in our day, we have people who say, I really like Jesus. I just don't like church. And you're not read Ephesians because God's will is for the building of his church. One last one, and my favorite, Christy shared with me a parenting class that they had years ago that talked about this. Is it okay for me to leave my shopping cart in the middle of the parking lot? Anybody ever had that happen? You go to pull pool in a parking spot, and someone has left their shopping cart right in the middle? And so what do you do? You just park with half your car hanging out, right? (laughs) Because you're like, I don't have time to get out and move that thing, right? So you just park there. Is that okay? Not if you read Philippians. It says... Look not just to your interests, but to the interest of others. Consider others more important than yourselves. You see, friends, God's will really isn't as mysterious as we make it. God's will is pretty revealed. And now that we have a renewed mind, we can actually grasp it. The problem is we're not often people of the word. We're more people of the world. And so we're lost. What should we do? Or our reactions are those of the world. You see, we want to be transformed. So not only that we know what he wants, but that's what begins to come out of us. You see, I don't know about you, but I don't often premeditate anger. I don't premeditate pride. I don't premeditate envy, anxiety, or jealousy. I don't often think if someone says something to me, I'm going to yell at them. I don't think that when I go to work because I don't want to hurt Miss Linda, right? I want to be kind to her. If someone I don't intentionally think, if someone says they have a new car, I'm going to be jealous to them. I don't plan that while I'm eating Wheaties, right? These are things that come forth. These are things that we don't premeditate. What we want to get is to where we're so renewed and we're so knowing what the Word is and we're so walking with Christ that now what comes up? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what the gospel community looks like. Now instead of pride, now instead of envy, these are the things that bubble forth. You make a tree good, the fruit will be good. But if a tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. One of the greatest keys to transformation is not just knowing what God wants, but actually wanting to do what God wants. Friends, one of the ways we can tell if we're really being transformed is, how much do you really want to do what God wants? How much do you really spend time with him, wanting to know him? I've put four things on your sheet of, as we think about our minds, I can tell you four things today that are God's will with regard to our minds. We're going to get into more of God's will in the verses that follow after this, but just four things with our minds. First of all, he want you to set your mind on things above. Colossians 3.2. You know, they say that those who are too heavenly-minded can't be of much earthly good but you know as i've reminded you before i don't know anyone who's too heavenly minded actually and the more heavenly minded we are the more earthly good we will actually do you know students if you considered that one day you will give an account for that school day when you stand before the lord it will probably make a difference in how you live that day at school if we would consider that we're going to give an account to the lord of how we live that work day it would make a difference probably in the things that we do so here's what he says. You know what you do with your mind? You know what God wants you to do with your mind? Set it on the things above. Number two, prepare your mind for action. First Peter 1.13. And this is where we push you toward knowing the word, memorizing the word. Because I don't often bring my Bible with me to Albertsons. But if we've stored the word and we're preparing our mind, we will know what to do. We will know what God wants because we know his word. And this I can't do for you, friends. This I pray for you and this I beg of you but I can't do it for you. You have to prepare your mind. That's what God asks us to do in 1 Peter 1. He wants us to pray and sing with our mind. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Worship is never intended to go around our mind, but through our mind, that we engage our mind. As we pray and we sing to him. And then the last one, that we would love him with all your mind. He says this is the greatest thing. We'd love him with all our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength. This is what's most important. God wants you to love him with all your mind. We're going to transition now to the Lord's Supper, and I'll ask our deacons to come. And as they come, I'll remind you of just these closing thoughts.